Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Radiligion Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you. Shut up. <clears throat> Damn you, Hollywood. And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! Yay. Yeah. I don't know why the money symbol breaks you every time <laughs> you do that, but I'm not going to stop doing it. You are listening. <laughs> To a premiere. <laughs> We've got star wipes and everything. It's so funny because, like, you're doing that. It's like, are we doing this for the hearing impaired? What is with the head signal with both doing now? I do it to amuse myself. It, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and occasionally amuse you, it seems. Uh, well, tonight we were supposed to be, I think, I think this was the Devil's Light, was what this was. Originally, to be. yeah. And then that got bumped because Lionsgate. Yeah, I guess they. I can't even say like there's no there's no there hasn't been at least a reported spike in the how does the critical drinker do it the unknown disease of uh, the unknown virus of unknown That's origin the, the unknown virus of unspecified origin <laughs> yes uh, which cracks me up every time he does that like slowly but surely going through all of his stuff clearly not coming from. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you, you can't really use that as an excuse. There hasn't been a reported uptick in outbreaks. There's no new variant that I've been made aware of in the news. So it no, might I, just I, been... I genuinely don't know why they bumped it, but they did. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the spider the Spider-Man butterfly effect of you know, they, they looked and they looked at what was out there, they looked at Scream, they looked at Spider-Man, they looked at you know what Q1 was putting forth from other studios and went, eh. No one's in a rush, but maybe we'll save this for Halloween and see if it does any better. Which is not the worst. Like, st- that happens shockingly with a degree of regularity most people aren't aware of because they don't pay enough attention to it. Right. It gets a lot more headline, more press from us, partially because we schedule these things and partially because at this point in time, everything in their dog is moving around. Right. And yep, there was a, uh, there was a couple. Not so much uh, move. There wasn't so much movement recently, but there's been a lot of stuff that was just released in the past 24 hours. A lot of it on Disney Plus, which I don't want to start off this whole show on a tangent. But have you seen the trailers for Rescue Rangers? I have not. Ugh. <laughs> We're gonna talk about it, but I may be drunk during that episode. Um, and Maybe. That, and <laughs> and coming from me, you know, I, it's the just... height of professionalism. <laughs> More of my my general tolerance for uh, for Disney stuff. True. It it that looks bad even even from my level of tolerance. But whatever. Anyway, we're we're here. So the reason why we went off on that whole road was we were supposed to do the Devil's Light tonight. That got bumped to Halloween. So instead, I bumped up a show that Robin and I had planned to do. Netflix ran the trailer for Big Bug a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I was like, hey, this is the director of Amelie. I remember watching Amelie uh, in my, you know, in, in my independent snooty film days. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's let this looks like a fun, brightly colored science fiction 
uh, French movie. They're like, let's check that out. And Robert was like, I'm game. And then at the same time, they had announced that there were three direct-to-HBO Max films, one of which was by Steve Soderbergh, who you may have remember from Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Or um, last week when Mark decided that you know everyone bashing Marvel movies in the media was... <laughs> needed to be rightly uh, castigated. Anyway, uh, Steve Soderbergh has a long storied history uh, in non-epic filmmaking. Um, the, the thing that off the top of my head, the thing that I remember him for is Sex, Lies, and Videotape, but there's other stuff. I'll pull up his filmography in a second. Yeah, well, he his... The interesting history of Steve Soderbergh's films does need a bit of a discussion when it comes to this film in particular. Ditto the screenwriter. Mm -hmm. When we talk about why Kimmy kind of sucks. So Kimmy stars uh, Zoe Kravitz. And like I said, um, it was another direct to streaming movie. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk Kimmy by Steve Soderbergh starring Zoe Kravitz. And then we'll do the uh, big bug. So Robert, um, why don't you kick us off here before you do uh, real quick, Steven Soderbergh, besides sex lies and videotape, which I saw when I was a kid, actually, it's from 1989. Can you believe that? Of course you can. I've, you know, all kind of weird stuff that I've watched. Um, he also did Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Ocean's 11, plus Ocean's 12. Um, he did The Girlfriend Experience. Uh, Magic Mike, I did not realize was him. How about that? Really? Yeah. Look, there's a reason that man's career is so up and down. Well, <laughs> yeah, Kimmy as a kind of failed film fits right in with about half of his overall offerings. The last thing that we talked about on here that he did was No Sudden Move, which was part of a triple feature. And that was, yet again, another straight to HBO Max movie. Uh, there's a, there's one on here that I actually want to, I do want to watch and I want to review at some point called the laundromat and that looks like it went straight to netflix i don't know maybe i'll rope you into that at some point maybe not we'll see what happens all right so let's jump into it what is kimmy all about robert so kimmy follows primarily the character of angela last name escapes me played by zoe kravitz she is a uh it's child's angela child's, child's. angela child's again played by zoe kravitz she is a oh they have a stupid word for it um she she's a, a kind of a debugger for a new startup tech company that has their own sort of smart device like a siri like an alexa mark can't say either of those because he will turn his on <laughs> i imagine you empathized with that one video call when they were just trying to have a conversation anytime they said kimmy the romanian guy had to turn and yell at his yup i was like oh wow i relate to this movie uh, she she is one of the people who logs and tries to fix um, bugs when there's an issue with um, anything spoken to the unit, whether that's a slang issue, whether that's someone trying to get it to say dirty things, and it's just you need to know how to get it to respond or not respond, depending on the circumstance in question. And so she goes through these error codes and tries to you know fix them and clear them. She's also pretty severely agoraphobic. Um, has a general anxiety disorder, little bit OCD, touch of the germophobia, and I'm shocked they didn't give her an imaginary friend. <laughs> hey, hashtag mental health awareness. Mental health aware mental health is real. Uh, yeah, so if you've got one, you've got all of them, right? That's how this works. 
according to some of the professionals that I've seen their diagnosis of certain people, yes, it is very common to give somebody half the DSM-5. Yeah. <laughs> what are you diagnosed with, all of them? I got everything. Um, there's when, it, when there's a lot of guys, and they're they're doing this because they don't know any better. But it, it goes to sort of the truth of the the the, the heart of the matter. He'll say, "What's your previous diagnosis? Bipolar schizophrenia. <sighs> Bipolar schizophrenia, post traumatic stress disorder. They don't actually say post traumatic stress disorder, by the way. They usually will mangle that in some say post post traumatic uh, stressing dysphobia." And Someone... you just <laughs> and you just kind of want to put your head through a wall. So, can I just get an ETO for this person, please? Is is he hurting himself? He's hurting me. <laughs> Go on. Can somebody find his previous uh, physician and let's just let's drag him out behind the woodshed? Something like that. Anyway, uh, and then uh, also for the record, this movie takes place. Uh, during the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, not when it was filming, the story itself is set during the lockdowns mm -hmm. and whatnot. So uh, one of the error codes that she has to clear, she believes she hears a woman being attacked. Now, part of her issues were re-triggered by her being attacked. So she's extra sensitive to this kind of thing. She jumps through a few technological hoops and is able to isolate the appropriate sound bits to hear some people attacking, apparently attacking a woman. Again, all we have is the audio file. And she then jumps through more hoops to illegally download all of the things that she, this woman, she finds out who she is, then gets an illegal administrative code from a friend who works for the same company that's based out of Romania it wasn't Ukraine because that's where a lot of them come from, but doesn't really matter. It's a joke for my brother who works with several Ukrainians who live. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he does um, tech support of some variety. I forget exactly what it is. So, no, not Alex Charlie. <laughs> Software development of some variety. There's a lot of subcategories to that. Anyway, he's uh, so he's so she's. Able to download all of the things this woman has on stored on her Kimmy device. And she hears a confrontation prior to the woman's death that includes um, her alleging that this married man who turns out to be the CEO of the startup company that's about to go public uh, raped her. And she's not happy about this. And she's trying to entrap him. And... Uh, she was handled by a cleaner that was hired by this corporate CEO who's about to get a lot of money, assuming that this group goes public. Well, Zoe Kravitz is not having any of this. She wants to report this to the FBI. She gets a bit of the corporate runaround. She gets chased. She gets captured. She fights back. She kills her attackers. She's able to take the whole thing, make the whole thing public, and everyone lives happily ever after. There's a bit of... There's some oh, character stuff in there we can talk about. Her agoraphobia is cured, by the way. At the end, yes. <laughs> yes, she overcame because, her trauma. Because nothing cures trauma-induced agoraphobia and other mental health issues like more violent trauma, including <laughs> you murdering people with a nail gun. Yes, I, I believe that is also a prescriptive 
device. It will be, for... it, it will be in the it will be in the sixth in the DSM six. Yes, yes. You, treat, treating trauma by murdering others. Uh, it's the book I'm working on currently. Anyway, you, know, you, you should unironically write that, and people will take you seriously. <laughs> It'll be a bestseller. It would. All right. A, um, I did not. Okay. Hate, I did not hate this movie. I I kind of hated this movie. I understand. So I didn't hate this movie. Um, I think my good, bad, and ugly on it is I liked what Steven Soderbergh had to say about there, there, there's, and I was thinking about this with Roland Emmerich from last week with Moonfall. Um, I didn't say at the time we were too busy just dealing with Roland Emmerich and his <laughs> and his cognitive dissonance that I forgot to mention how disinterested I am in the paranoia, um, <clears throat> the um. The paranoia that's in the subtext of that film that he's talking about, I just don't care about it as a subject anymore. Here, uh, Steve Sodenberg is talking about, you know, all of the the privacy in people's lives being, you know, a readily available. Um, you know, we have all of these assistive devices, you know, like the Ultra and um, the Siri <laughs> and all of that, your Google devices and whatnot, and how that affects yeah, our lives. Look at how Google just listens to you even when your phone's off. Right. And and I understand that, especially for generations older than ours, I think for the younger generations, they've just lived with it so long that they don't really care. But for older generations, there's a, there's a skepticism and one might even say, again, a paranoia about uh, Big Brother. You know, like we read 1984, those of us who went to high school and paid attention. Um, before, we, before the book was banned. Is it really banned now? I don't know. I assume no. somewhere it is. I mean, why? They're banning everything these days. Why wouldn't they ban 1984? So, so George Orwell in 1984 talks about. Um, so now we have to discuss. <laughs> so, so back in the 50s, George Orwell <laughs> saw the future of the totalitarian movements that were starting to crop up, and he wrote 1984 as kind of a cautionary tale about the excess and the overreach of government. And we ignored him. <laughs> we and, roundly and, ignored him. And it turns out that most of us were just happy to hand over the keys. Yeah, there was no taking by force. But what he was what he was worried about, what he was anxious about, was persistent, persistent and intrusive government intervention in everyday lives. I mean, he's coming from an era uh, of you know the, the, the mid twentieth century, two great world wars, one in which where Germany uh, and the Soviet Union, Russia. Were, had so much data on people that you, you couldn't hardly do anything with it. This is not a new idea. Yeah. And now, you know, but that ha had to all be done by hand. That had to be done in, in rather quaint cloak and dagger ways. Now, you know, you go out to the store, you go to the Best Buy, you pick up an emergency and you put it, you plug it into your house and you literally given anyone <laughs> access to your privacy that yep. was once upon a time, um, a strong currency and something valuable. It really isn't anymore. Not not in the way that we're talking. In any case, and Steve Soderbergh, Cleve Soderbergh, clearly wanted to do a movie about that. But you can't do ninety minutes to two hours on. I'm afraid Google is listening to me talk dirty to my wife. So instead, he creates a cloak and dagger. Well, that uh, was. Uh... <laughs> We know what the parody film will be about. <laughs> so instead, he creates sort of this uh, half meditation on anxiety and mental illness and half cloak and dagger tale of the one lone woman willing to bring down 
the uh, the corporate totalitarian masters of Google. In the, you know, they, they call it something else here, but it's essentially Google. The Amygdala Corporation. Yeah. Um, get it? Amygdala? Get it? Get it? Eh? Brains? Eh? Anyway. Um, get it, Mark. So, again, I like it when there's a point of view in a movie. I don't always have to agree with it, but I like when there is one. So that that had a strong um, that had a strong um, thing for me that I could at least tap into. I don't think Zoe Kravitz's character is particularly likable, and, and it's not like she'd be likable if she could just get get if she would just not put on sweatpants and leave her house. She just doesn't. I think in where where Steve Soderbergh fails in direction is he misplaces like people being mentally ill with being unlikable. Yeah. Like she could have like there are when we talked about the woman in the window, I got a lot of those vibes from this movie. Uh I can't remember the lead actress's name. Help me. Um uh, Lois Lane. Uh, Amy Adams. Amy yeah. Amy Adams wasn't unlikable. She was yeah. just in a in a bad place. And then her world gets turned upside down. And wherever our far off our faults were with that movie, which you can check in our archives, we reviewed it. Um she, you know, you were rooting for her to get past whatever these hurdles were and make it out of the other end of that movie alive. Here, I don't particularly like Kid, Zoe Kravitz's character. And well, so, in addition, here's the thing ahead. about that in addition to all of the kind of psycho psychological issues, um, she comes across almost as like on the spectrum. I was gonna say bitchy. Like, like she's not nice to the Romanian guy. The first word out of her, like this is <laughs> this is such a movie for young woke folk. Like the uh, her one of her opening lines of dialogue is the Romanian guy is like, "Hey, hotness," and she's like, "You can't say that kind of shit now." Hey, I'm in Romania. <laughs> me too is another decade away. Deal Wait, with it. I laughed hard at like that made the movie for me. <laughs> that was a good line. <laughs> Genuinely a good line. But it's it's one of those things where like. And and this happened. This actually happened recently with somebody in one of our chats. I've been sort of bitching and complaining about. But it was like, if you ask me for a favor, I, you know, don't then. <laughs> what happens with Zoe Kravitz and this guy is she needs something from him, and and the opening salvo of dialogue between them is, "Hey, hotness, you can't say stuff like that. You'll get in trouble." No, I won't. I'm in fucking Romania. And it's like, how about you need him for something? Be nice, for God's sake. Like, you can't say, hey, hotness is something you say to somebody when you don't want anything from them. Like, this makes her come across as very entitled. Um, very. And while she may have a valid point, look, there are a lot of valid behaviors that you still can't do because you're trying to get something accomplished. Like, know the <laughs> know your audience, know, know what the assignment is, and it feels like, Steve Soderbergh, who writes people, generally speaking, pretty well, well, left that in there just because it was like, huh, kids, huh, huh? You like Zoe Kravitz because she 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 shamed an old sexually not inappropriate even old. guy. He's not even old. He's like her age. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. How old are you? Well, he seems slightly older than her. But um, it was I felt like he just kind of left that in there for the younger kids who aren't watching this movie to go like, huh, huh? She's with you. You're with her, huh? Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you about, uh, about the paranoia. When the when the movie decides it wants to focus on that aspect, about it's a, it does a pretty good job of building tension. Soderbergh yeah. has a really nice directorial eye for that. Um, 
the score works in that context. Other context for the score, I do not like at all. Mm-hmm. But when it is just kind of tension building and you're not, you know, who's really on your side and that kind of stuff, that that I think that's when I think the movie is at its best. I my favorite, other than Hey Hotness, my the, my other favorite part of this movie is when she's in the office with I guess the <laughs> lawyer and sure, the HR rep. I don't know, yeah, who whoever she was, the exact Rita Wilson, um, who plays some sort of executive for this company, and yeah, that amused like, me. Well, she's sitting there on the couch, and Rita's trying to get her to open up to her, and you know, and and, and all of this. And Zoe Kravitz is sort of looking off to the side, and you're like, "So, at what point are we calling the FBI?" And then Rita, you know, and Rita's like, "Well, like, why don't you play for me what you have?" And immediately, and rightfully so, because Zoe Kravitz's character is not an idiot in this movie, is like, "Hey, wait a minute! You told me we were going to do all of this in front of the FBI." And Rita Wilson's like, "Well, I want to know what you have first. I don't want to waste time here." And Zoe Kravitz is like, "Nope, <laughs> this all stinks." And within a few minutes, she's up and running because the goons are about to get her. But I, but the before the goons show up, the interplay between Zoe Kravitz and Rita Wilson in that scene is probably the best part of this movie. Yeah, I might give you that. Um, here's where this movie falls apart. Okay. This is one. This is badly written. In uh, what way? There's dozens and dozens of subplots and subtextual things that go nowhere that serve no purpose such as why does she have a toothache okay so we, you you brought that up online let's discuss that since you're having such an issue with it because it didn't well, ha- ha- hang on okay. this bothered me for a very specific reason okay i don't care that the woman has a problem with her teeth I don't care that the director tries to use this as an example of, well, she's agoraphobic and won't go outside. If that's the purpose that it's intended to serve, I, okay, except you've got 18 other things serving that same purpose. Okay, that's fair. Like, when she can't go outside to the food truck parked on the same street as her building to meet the guy she's banging across the street, we get. (laughs) I don't need five minutes of her and her dentist going back and forth about, you need a root canal. No, I don't. Give me pain pills and an antibiotic. No, really, you need a root canal. You know what happens? (laughs) To your point, to your point, and this is where I agree with you, there is stuff like that in the first third of this movie that feels like it's just padding the runtime which and there's a reason why i cut you off to bring that up this is only 89 minutes long and i know lately i've been complaining about movies that are too long but like this one it seems like again steven soderbergh sat down with an with a with a pad of ideas that he wanted to talk about soderbergh didn't write this and who wrote this oh david cope Cope. and i will yell about him in a minute so david i apologize so david cope uh, sat down with a pad of ideas. Oh my God! Known for Jurassic Park, Mission Just, Impossible, Spider Man, Indiana Jones, to... <laughs> The Kingdom of the Crystal Will Skull. You let me get oh. to him. Let me get to him in a minute. <laughs> okay. Let me. Sorry. So David Cope sat with a pad, with a pad and uh, paper, and a pen, and was like, "I want to talk about all these things that I'm afraid of." And then they proceeded to write a script in which that's what the movie will talk about, and feels like he didn't have enough. Like he got, he got like 50 pages in, and was like, "Shit." I, I need no, this. <laughs> I need another like forty minutes of movie here, and that's when he started like, and she can have a toothache, and this can happen, and this and can she, happen. And okay, she's banging the guy across the street, and 
we can have a scene where she calls her mom <laughs> and we'll get, we'll get like 20 seconds of her with her therapist <laughs> and she will work out on her Peloton bike. And <laughs> like some, this... of, some of that is to set up what her daily I, routine well, is. Hey, and I get that. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the problem with the writing of this film though. Mm-hmm it all gets lumped together into this whole amalgamation of stuff that you just kind of wonder, I don't know how much of this I needed. Mm -hmm. And it turns out not most of it. So the stuff that's in there that actually could work and serve to, and have payoff later, mm -hmm. you feel bad about because it just, it drags everything down. Yeah. This movie did, this story is not a 90 minute movie. It's no, I was going to say this would have reworked this as an episode of black mirror and it's fine. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That that's more what this is. There's not enough here, you know. And mm -hmm. some of the other things about this that, okay. Here's the here's the other thing that might you might have been able to do with her abscess tooth, might. If it's there to cast doubt as to her credibility as a point of view character, mm -hmm. then I could understand. This is why I feel like this thing didn't have enough proper revisions. Because it, I almost wonder if that was its point originally. Was, you know, the doctor says, you know, you have an abscessed tooth and there's really, that's in real close proximity to your brain. You might have some kind of encephalitis. Mm -hmm. If you're using that to then cast doubt on her, again, if she's an unreliable point of view character, I think... And I think that was an idea at one point. Unfortunately, to pad the runtime, I imagine, guess what else we do a lot of? We get all, we do a lot of following the villain. Our opening scene in this is the CEO agreeing to have a woman, paying to have a woman killed. <laughs> There's no ambiguity here. Like mm -hmm. that, that's one of the big failings of this film. If it, what if you look at the better versions of this kind of story, stuff like you know Rear Window and whatnot, there is a degree of ambiguity there. Like, did you actually see what you thought you saw? Yeah, I, I was shocked that as uh, Angela's playing this first clip for them, that somebody doesn't go. And how do you know they're not just having a little fun together? Right. Like you have a twenty-second clip, you don't actually know anything. Right. So, and that needs to be part, uh, that kind of uncertainty, I think, needs to be part of the thrill and the and the tension of this kind of story. And it's utterly absent here. And I imagine that's because they needed to pad the runtime. So what do we do? We have the villains meet and we'll have two different scenes of them talking on the phone. And it seems like somewhere in the development of this script, they just wanted to get to Zoe Kravitz running around like it's Seattle in sweatpants. Like that's it. That like that was the big thrill here. And it's so funny because like I can think I can see other reviewers, and we'll get to them shortly, just being yes, like, will. you know, with this long, slow burn boiler uh buildup to Zoe Kravitz then running through the streets of Seattle away from would-be killers and having it end in a you know dramatic clash, violent clash with a nail gun. And oh. it's like <laughs> those, those are hang on those are two very different things i'm because one of those i like mm -hmm. her moving through the streets like i think that worked i yeah. thought they did a good job of kind of 
with well, again, she's not an idiot. Like she immediately when she when she suddenly realizes she's being tracked and she throws her phone immediately in the garbage. Like credit to Zoe Kravitz, she's not what's wrong with this movie. Her character I don't love, but like her acting and even just do, doing simple like it, it, you might miss it if you're not paying attention or maybe it doesn't register with you. But like the way that she just throws the the, the phone in the garbage without a second hesitation, like I liked all of that stuff. I think she's a very capable actress. Yeah, her performance is. Uh, one of the better things. Like, yeah. Her performance is solid. I, I, that, that absolutely deserves credit. But I, I thought they did some good work with camera angles and whatnot to, mm-hmm. and the direction to make her trip through the people in the streets feel as tense to the audience as she is, as she's desperately trying not to have a panic attack over this stuff. I was going to say, as far as like action scenes, when she gets kidnapped on the street, that's a pretty good one. That is really good. Well, I think it's, the, I think of the action sequences, it's the best of the movie. Because the, the, it's the, shot, the, the point of view of the camera is shot to where you get a, the bottom of the van and then you get her. So it's like right at eye level of her trying to claw her way out of this van. And and again, they didn't make her a superhero. They didn't make her a ninja. She's like, she's a slight, like 90 pound woman, it looks like, trying to fight this man off. But my, by the way, there's a protest happening. And so there's people who, pay, who yay, people in a crowd paid attention for once in a movie and helped, which was nice. Uh, I think my only gripe with that scene is their mechanism for not having them just drive off with her is there's people in front of the van when that mm-hmm. guy definitely would have just ran them over. <laughs> like, that's my only gripe. It wasn't driving a tank. You run you don't need- people over in that kind of a van, you're going to have problems. Sure, but you're gonna get like that's a that's a different problem. Like you just you start driving, and they either get out of the way or they don't, and that's their that's on them. You're already committing multiple <laughs> felonies here in like, broad daylight. Like <laughs> at a protest that's outside uh that like already has a police presence. Yeah, like you ain't you ain't getting away clean out of this one. You may as well get some physical distance and then reassess. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that I liked. The finale in the apartment is one of the dumbest things ever <laughs> committed to film. Mm-hmm. And this is not my, this is not just me rolling my eyes so f- hard they fell out of my head when she played the only Beastie Boys song in existence. I laughed so I hard. <laughs> as soon as she did that, like I, again, my eyes rolled and I went, Mark's going to laugh. <laughs> oh my God. I wanted to, if I had your phone number, I would have called you. Like, Robert! <laughs> I'd already I bearing in mind I'd already watched it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was crying to, and not because it's like a good use of the song or anything, it's but not. Be, you know there is I, no I, good use of that. You song. and I have just battled it out over that over JJ <laughs> Abrams, the whole thing, and then to hear it used for another stupid reason in a movie, I was like, really? That's the only like I now understand it isn't so much the song, though you don't like it, but if if everyone would just stop using the same song. To create a giant distraction or to have a ridiculous action scene, could we maybe there's only a z- 70, you know, Robert, there are 70 million songs on Amazon Music Unlimited. Did you I, know that? I absolutely did know that. I've done the ad read for this as well. <laughs> and if you wanted to maybe pick any one of the other 70 million songs that aren't sabotaged by the Beastie Boys, do you know where you could find them? You could absolutely find them on Amazon Music Unlimited. And if you use our code, 
or the follow the link in the description, you can get that service free for 30 days. That's right. The, uh, the link is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network to hear anything but sabotage, which is so also on there, but still. So if, you, so if you don't want to listen to the Beastie Boys, because that's the only song they ever made. <laughs> no, yeah, not, not Hey Ladies, not Girls, not No Sleep Till Brooklyn, nothing. Not, not Intergalactic. Not uh, not uh, um, uh, cookie puss. Hey, take me home and eat me. Yeah, if you don't, you know, none of those. Just sabotage. That's the only song the Beastie Boys have ever made. Apparently, <laughs> you can get AmazonMusic.com/slash/w2m network. Yeah, I but I laughed hard at that only because like I know how much you 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 just took one right in the nipples for that. But that entire scene is one of the dumbest things ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, she escapes after being drugged. Second, her creepy neighbor, not the one she's banging, gets stabbed. And then doesn't leave a giant trail of blood despite being stabbed in the spleen <laughs> as they drag him back to the apartment. The primary guy is already in the apartment when she shows up <laughs> for reasons. They then have to interrogate her, which they do in laughable fashion, to try and obtain the last the last hard copies of uh, the last copies of these uh, audio files that she downloaded. When they already have access to her passwords and information, if that hacker they called is half as good as he would have to be to actively track a cell phone like that. All they have to do is make sure that laptop is turned on and he can search it. It's not that complicated. <laughs> and I'm not a com I'm not a big computer guy, even I know that. Mm -hmm. Then she of course stages her miraculous escape where everyone has to pretend it's a lot darker than it actually is because we need dramatic lighting, but we need everyone to think that they can't see otherwise they just shoot her in the head. You have to understand like the movie is called Kimmy, and Kimmy is what this device is named. So the device has to play a part in the conclusion. And what the sabotage thing that Robert and I are referencing is her whole way of defeating the bad guys in this is with the device by giving it a series of commands, one of which is, I, I think it's play Beastie Boys and play Sabotage. Then it's like, no, she says hey. play Sabotage. Oh, good. Does she? Okay. She, okay. So she plays, uh, she says play Sabotage. She says bedtime light. She, you know, she gives it a couple of other commands. At one point, she crawls into, oh, she, like, she, she gets between the floors of her apartment yeah. building, goes to the one above her that's under, that's having some remodeling done, mm -hmm. gets a nail gun, shoots one of the guys chasing her. One of the other ones, the guy who was stabbed, then is not stabbed long enough to stab another one of these attackers in the chest, who then no-sells it to yell, I was just stabbed. As she shoots the lead guy with a nail gun, then she shoots the last guy, because being being shot with a nail gun is apparently more fatal than being stabbed in the freaking chest. Yeah. And, and then she's magically cured by the end. Yeah. So, I, just to conclude here... This movie <clears throat> Like I said, the editorial point of view about where we are with technology in our lives and privacy, I was okay with. Yeah. <clears throat> the tension, the, the, the tension around yeah. you can't trust, you can't trust, you can't trust corporations, you can't trust government, 
you know, it, the little guy is always going to be struggling uphill. Um, there's always some, there's always people in power that are going to manipulate situations and you, you, you really have to go above and beyond to get even a little bit of justice in this world. I'm fine with all of that. It's, it's, it's like I said, that third act where it just, we're done with all of that now. And it's just, how will she defeat the bad guys? You know, <laughs> Roland Emmerich, why, why can't we do anything original? I don't know. You had an opportunity here, Steve, so uh, David Cope and Steve Soderbergh to do something, you know, with an original ending that might've been satisfying. And you did the same thing everyone does. So I don't yeah, know why you she, can't do anything original, Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. I don't know either. Um, Roland Emmerich. I, I hated. I I I was kind of with this movie up mm -hmm. until the point she gets captured. Like okay. everything up to and including that, I'm like okay. And then they start taking her back to the apartment, and I just I immediately <laughs> went like this. Yeah, and then it because becomes I knew the other movie. I knew what was going to happen. Like, mm -hmm. and then they did it, and they did it badly. Yep. All right, you want to hear what the uh, what the critics thought? Um, if I say no, we still do it because it's a bit that we have to do. But uh, sorry, my final no, no, hang on. Before we move on. Yep. Before we move on. Yep. Mister Cope. Yes. You, sir, are one of the most uneven writers I have ever <laughs> happened to have a look through their history on. Yeah. Now, and I. In looking through his history, I arrived at a couple of conclusions. Bearing in mind that the first thing I'm about to say is not a value judgment. It is not good. It is not bad. It is my assessment of his skills. Mm -hmm. He is a much better adapter of material than creator. Okay. Now, again, that's neither good nor bad. It's a wonderful skill to have because he was responsible for some really good adaptations. And that's fine and dandy. He is a better, so he's a better adapter, first of all. Which, like I said, great skill. There are some very talented creators who can't adapt for crap. <laughs> so it's a good skill to have. He's a little bit better when he's able to collaborate. Certain yeah. collaborators are able to work within what with him and create something better. Others, not so much. This guy did collaborate on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which. About which the less said, the better, I suppose. <laughs> that movie still makes me angry. One of the few. <laughs> yep. So he's he needs some of these other structures in place to be to operate at his best. He also has no he has a decent idea for setups and no idea how to have payoffs. He's responsible for another movie very much like this one. Uh, starring Jodie Foster and Forrest Whitaker called Panic Room. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. You've got a decent enough idea, and individual bits are somewhat well executed, but there's not enough here to sustain a film. And everything kind of falls apart towards the end. And he's... Just don't do this again, man. <laughs> you... You have a set. You have a set of skills when it comes to writing. Know them. Know how to maximize them. This ain't it. All right. And with that said, the critical review. Are you ready? No. I said. Oh. 
No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Well, as you can see on the screen... Oh, well, the, get banned! <laughs> well, the critics just thought... How many? <laughs> we're just 50, simply wild. 58 reviews. of these morons. Wow. We just thought this was absolutely fabu. The okay. audience was like, Bring I don't get it. No, no, no. Like, the audience may not get it, may not get why they don't like it, but the audience is way more correct here. I have... I, I am ready for this. Bring on these bunch of slap happy <laughs> jackasses. I am ready for this one. I'm wondering how much of this is. It's just Zoe Kravitz, and like they're just prone. To, she seems to be the new Hollywood girl. Um, yeah, she's, she's, let, okay. L again, let me let me stress this fault. The following point. Mm -hmm. She does a good job acting in this movie. You and I both said that. I will right. stand by that. Her performance is not enough to make up for the mountain of failures of this. No, I'm not necessarily saying they're right. I'm just, you know me, part of, I do, you know, part of what I like to do with these things. And I think part of a skill that I just have um, both professionally and um, intrinsically is my ability to deconstruct and read into things. And sometimes I, you know, I'll sit and I'll look at a thing. And I'm like, huh, I'll wonder why that is the case without uh, yeah, just being how did angry we, about it. How did we and, arrive at this? And right. I, I also it, think you're probably right that it's a lot of people going, we like Zoe Kravitz and she does a good acting job. Therefore, positive review for film. Right. And if, we you all, don't if you don't think about it any harder than, well, she right. does a good job acting. I get it, but you're bad at your job. Yes. And that's why we do this bit. But I mean, do this. Think about the people that we know, people can, you know, when we talk about it all the time, people conflate. I liked it with it's good. Why wouldn't you also being bad at your job or just not a good film critic to begin with? And many people and look, and I say that with the utmost respect for the people I talk about movies with, they're not film critics, they're fans. And fans will often say, I liked it, it was good, it made me happy, and it was good. They're wrong, but <laughs> you know, I am willing half to of, <laughs> yeah, half of that statement is wrong. Like if right. it made you happy, okay, it made you happy. Therefore, it's good. Well, hold on. So think about the the infinite amount of variations on that same thing. Oh yeah, I like this actor or actress. It was good. It was. It had. There, there was music in in it that I liked, so it was good. I'm sure J.J. Abrams threw his pants at the screen. I'm sure he did. So my my only point is, it wouldn't be beyond the pale to think that a lot of reviewers went into this going, "Hey, Zoe Kravitz is the new it girl. She got a raw deal with High Fidelity. Just ask her. She's on Twitter about whining about it yesterday and today." <laughs> Um, well, look, she will be. I imagine she will take every opportunity to make that same whiny complaint when she's doing press for the Batman. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you, in the run up to the Batman, we're going to have to hear more about how. And Sean and I reviewed High Fidelity. It wasn't the worst thing we'd ever seen, but it, it you know, it, the fact that it got canceled, we were neither one of us was that surprised. If only that, you know, How I Met Your Father got renewed for season two, but High Fidelity got canceled. I don't know what to tell you, folks. I don't I don't write the algorithms at Hulu. I just read them when they're reported. Uh, anyway, so the critical consensus right. is... Yeah, let, let these idiots, man. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this one. Let's get to it. A housebound thriller with a 21st century spin. Kimmy finds director Steven Soderbergh in crowd-pleasing form. Thanks no. for the art. Hold on. <laughs> Scroll back up for just a second. Yes. See that audience score? 
Yes. Crowd pleasing, huh? The crowd pleasing, uh? yes. Kimmy finds director Steven Soderbergh crowd pleasing for him, thanks in no small part to an outstanding performance by Hollywood It Girl Zoe Kravitz. All right. How many of you were paid off by her publicist to just say endlessly <laughs> nice things about everything she does? You... I want to know how many of them don't don't really know who she is. It's like Zoe Kravitz, white or black? Black, great. She's fantastic in everything she's in. Ding, I imagine. Ding. <laughs> I imagine at least one of the following. Oh, you at the top get absolutely <laughs> bent. Rohan, uh, I'll read that one. I guess Rohan sure. Nahar of the Indian Express, toot toot, a Hitchcockian thriller. Do people not watch Hitchcock films anymore? Do they not know what they are? And they just this is an know. idiot. Look, this is a guy who went, huh? Who? Here's what he did. Someone said, oh, this is like Rear Window. Who directed Rear Window? Uh, Hitchcock. Great, it's Hitchcockian. Right. This is that is a sentiment for this film, utterly devoid of an understanding of Hitchcock's style. Soderbergh's style is radically different. Speaking of 1984, is this where we are at with language now? Where if if it's even tangentially related, then people will just ascribe it to things. So, like, you know, like Hitchcockian. If it if it features poor people, it's Dickensian. (laughs) Like, does it keep going like that? We've done this. We've done this segment a lot. Yes, this is where we are with language. Okay. A, a Hitchcockian, Dickensian, Malfesian thriller about an agoraphobic data analyst who witnesses a murder. No. Wait a minute. You've already screwed this up. She didn't witness crap. <laughs> she heard some shit on... <laughs> she, heard, she heard what may have been a Hold on. on an audio file. Hold on. Kimmy is like Rear Window meets North by Northwest. For the post-truth age, Robert. Did you jump know? out? Jump out a window. <laughs> Stop wishing deaths on people in a public. I don't care. Forum. No, no, no. Okay, make sure it's a ground floor window, but just <laughs> curl yourself through it. <laughs> you waste of space. What the hell? Did you know she was you a dentist? Just looked up Hitchcock's filmography and splattered a secondary one there. This has nothing to do with North by Northwest nothing I, I i need you to take a breath because other than did you know she was a dentist did you know robert winfrey of the screaming boy podcast that we were living in a post-truth age that i've heard bandied about i think it's a i think it's a term thrown around by pseudo intellectuals desperate to desperate to appeal to the intelligentsia when, you they think? when they themselves belong nowhere near any of that kind of uh discussion and by the way, any of the actual philosophical jackasses throwing around the notion of post-truth, pull your bottom lip over your head and swallow, you waste of space. Sean Burns of North Shore Movies, speaking of waste of space, an exercise in pure craftsmanship. Well, I believe we <laughs> I believe one, we proved that that's not the case. Okay. One, yes, we've discussed why that's not true. Two. Isn't that true of all movies? They are, in fact, crafted. Ergo, they are the exercise in pure craftsmanship. You know damn well that's not what he's saying. I know, but I'm I'm just saying he can't. There's no possible way to interpret that where he's right. So this one gave this one a five out of five. He thought this was a perfect feature. Oh, please, Bill Arsenal of movie going with Bill. You self-employed loser. Thank you. Soderbergh and crew are ever so wistful. Wistful, <laughs> ever so wistful. They're just, they're just running. Hold on. The they are wistful room. in their competence. 
Yes. They're ever so wistful in their confidence, their understanding, and their craft. They make things look so good and so easy. It's only natural to fall head over heels in pleasure for a movie this great. Buddy, take that. <laughs> I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get this video demonetized. So desperate. Stop so... filleting your boyfriend, Steve Soderbergh. He's not going to notice you. There's a, such an air of desperation in that segment. How pathetic is that review? Oh, my God. Like, like that is someone, like, just begging you to come to his you're, YouTube page, begging to be sent screeners. Okay, here's what this idiot's trying to do. He's trying to advertise to write ad copy. Like, mm -hmm. that's what he's doing here. That's not a review. No. That that's you want to say like you're trying to send out talking points to other shows with that. That's all you're doing there. You that is pathetic on a level that I have not had to review for this segment in a long time. <laughs> Christy Pushko of Mashable, top critic. Kimmy is a nail-biting thrill ride, lean, sharp, and masterfully made. No. But beyond it's cool. Be cruel to your school. The uh, cool exterior and prickly protagonists. Is that what we're calling her? That we're going with prickly? Okay. Prickly. Prickly. It's a gentle, when I when my wife is being a pain in the ass, so I just refer to her as prickly. Is that how this goes now? Is that the acceptable word for bitch? Um, <laughs> and prickly protagonists. Well, if, if, you're, if you're writing for the vaunted publication that is Mashable, I imagine you're not allowed to use profanity. I suppose not. It's a gentle cry to our better angels. One, Did everyone smoke pot before they watched this and wrote a review? I don't know how this woman is related to someone who worked on this film, but she absolutely <laughs> is. Like, There's no way you looked at this and went, oh, it's such a gentle call to the better side of no no it's it's deliberately taking someone and dropping them in a pile of crap <laughs> the fact that Soderbergh and Cope are too this movie deserved to have Kimmy debt to have Angela dead at the end <laughs> absolutely that's what should have happened mm. no balls oh, of course not no we, we can't kill the vaunted Hollywood it girl Zoe Kravitz. She has I to. Ab I absolutely would have if I she were writing to, this. I know you would have, but she. But in the in the world we're living in, reality, uh, she has to conquer the patriarchy with a nail gun and blue Get hair it? symbolism. Yes, and blue hair. <sighs> Taylor Baker, drink in the movies. Drink it in, Robert Winfrey. Uh, you drink were drinking, it in. You were drinking something to give this an eighty-five out of a hundred. Yeah, hemlock. The concoction of this. Did you say I wish death on people. <laughs> <laughs> this concoction of sequences constructs both Angela's limitations and strengths in quick, elaborate, lifelike situations. One of many things Soderbergh is particularly adept at. Why did you write that sentence that way? <laughs> I am begging you to stop using too many words. That that That's a ridiculous way to construct that sentence. I mean... I also don't necessarily agree with it. It's one of my gripes about this particular. I didn't get too deep into it, mm -hmm. but. Okay, let me make sure I phrase this properly. Angela is not a Mary Sue. She is absolutely not. No. Okay, so that out of the way. You could not have written her with a more perfect skill set <laughs> to facilitate your ending. And it's unbearably transparent 
Stephen Prokopi of the Third Coast Review in our Tina Fey imitating Sarah Palin uh, review of the evening. For a quick 90-minute movie, Soderbergh manages to pack in a lot of detail, and I can see Russia from my house. That it, you know, if this were the first two panels of a Garfield comic, <laughs> you could sub in anything in the third panel. Like that's that's how that's how pointless the that that sentence that that review blurb is. You can end that with Garfield smoking a pipe, and it works just as well. Uh, Adam Graham of Detroit News, top critic. Kimmy is a small movie that is just as big as it needs to be. And I can see Russia from my house. How is that helpful? (laughs) So bad. That's not... Okay, again, I'm going to very briefly assume that that man went on to make some salient points in his review. But how is it helpful as a blurb to go, well, it's small, but it's also big. Eh? (laughs) That's what she said. I was going to say, take your insecurities <laughs> elsewhere and try to deal with them, sir. It doesn't You don't need to put them there. Uh, William Bibiani of The Rap, top critic, also oh. critically acclaimed. <laughs> you you occasionally point... You know this guy, and now you deliberately point me at him on occasion. I, I know his partner. He's been on our show. The great film critic uh, and Twitter aficionado, um, Whitney, uh, Whitney Seibold. Thank you. Never but yes, been on there with him, and I know his name. I had a moment. But yes, here's his partner currently right not for critically acclaimed, but writing for the rap, top critic. It's a low-budget, high-concept thriller that refreshingly contemporary that's refreshingly contemporary on the service, even though it's pretty conventional at its core. Yeah, that's fair. I think I just wanted to read that one because it was William Bibiani. I wanted to see what he said. His... I, haven't, I haven't gotten to that part of his podcast yet. Okay, hang on. For the record. That's an accurate and somewhat useful summation, even if I disagree with his overall score. Again, this would be a fair, this is a fairly easy, easy, rotten rating for me. Richard Brody of New Yorker. The New Yorker, Robert Winfrey of the Screaming Boy podcast. Top critic. I am not of the Screaming Boy podcast. You got (laughs) to stop doing that. It only works on Ronnie. (laughs) Now everyone's part of the Screaming Boy podcast. If you want to hurt me, you just say you, you, you need to reference everyone loves a bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> one of Soderbergh's best recent films okay oh yeah hang on <laughs> all right dickhead <laughs> we are going to look up Steven Soderbergh's filmography okay how far back do we want to say recent hang on before you do that I just want to read you this one real quick and then okay. you can go into your bit here and then I think we're going to stop Manhola Dargis of the New York Times, top critic. There's a lot to enjoy about former Kimmy. newspaper. I'd watch it a third time just for the delirious 180 degree camera move that bookends it. Ah, yes, this woman who who enjoyed jingling keys, the movie must have absolutely must have. Wow. There's camera tricks. They worked on me. <laughs> I okay. was dizzy with anticipation. Okay, so if we're talking Soderbergh's filmography, we're talking only as director. So how far back do we want to go for recent, Mark? Let's set a reasonable let's time say let's let's go five years. Five years. So back to 2017. In 2017, he released Logan Lucky. Uh, which I would say is better than this. 
2018, we have Unsane. Yeah, not better than this, I don't think. Which is saying something about that. Uh, high in 2019, we have both High Flying Bird. And The Laundromat, which Mark is going to try and rope me into <laughs> reviewing at one point. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is absolutely not better than The Laundromat. Just looking at who's, just looking at the actors. Yeah. L 2020, Let Them All Talk. Um, this wasn't better than uh, No Sudden Move. Right. I haven't I haven't seen no sudden moves, so I can't comment on that one. But I will take your word for it. Yeah, Ronnie, um, uh, Jesse and I really liked it. So no, idiot. Unless you, unless by recent you mean the last few months, this is absolutely not better than a lot of his recent work. All right. Let's move on to Big Bug. All right, idiots, uh, idiots, love, idiots, a lot of them. All right, so Big Bug came out February 11th on uh, Netflix. It is French with English subtitles. Uh, I imagine you can watch it dubbed if you're so inclined. If you know French, yes. Uh, it's a science fiction no, comedy no. written and directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, as I said before, who was the director of Amelie, which I think won a whole bunch of awards. It was uh, nominated for a whole bunch of awards. Yeah. I used to own that DVD back when I was a snooty film person and, 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 and someone who owned DVDs and a DVD player. It stars El Elsa Zilberstein, Isabel Nanty, Youssef Haji, Alban Lenore, and Francois Leventhal. Set in the world of 2045, where communities have robotic helpers, a group of suburbanites are locked in for their own protection by their household robots while a rogue software AI android revolt rages outside. All right, Robert. Go ahead and try to explain this movie, because maybe then I'll understand what it was I was watching. Okay. Aside from what appeared to be a French telenueva with robots. No, it's not that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. <gasps> Sorry, go ahead. Stop. <laughs> the movie takes place entirely within one house where mm -hmm. our protagonist, uh, our, it's a very, this is very much an ensemble film. Mm -hmm. um, the first four characters we meet are our female lead, um, whose name escapes me. Hang on. Let me help you. Uh, please. Uh, so we have Isabel Nanty as it, Francois. And then Elsa... No, no, no not, not Francois. El, Elsa Zilberstein as Alice. Alice. Okay. We have Alice and her and her prospective lover, Max, and his son... Get his name. Um, Don't worry about it. His son. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. Not Tom Holland. <laughs> a lot of similarities, though, in the face. Sure. Um, Max is trying to get into Alice's pants, like you do. But Alice is a recently divorced, repressed woman, don't you understand? And she doesn't want physical attention. She wants romance and stories. And this poor, poor man just wants to... <laughs> <laughs> There's a running gag in this in this movie where he's just trying to get some and she's like, no, I want poetry. I want to I, I want to role play. I want and he's just, <laughs> when he finally loses his patience with this exercise. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, she is a bit of an antiquarian. She was one of the few people left who can write. 
um, ro uh, robots and artificial intelligences and whatnot have become very, very commonplace. They have a robotic helper, uh, Monique. Uh, anyway, her ex-husband and his new fiance, her name is Jennifer. Uh, I can't remember his name. Bring back their daughter who they adopted from the Netherlands. His name um, is Victor. Victor, thank you. They bring back their daughter and their drama ensues. Uh, their neighbor comes over after her dog winds up in their house briefly. The dog goes back outside, but then the house locks down. They try to figure out why, and they are told that the danger outside the domicile is now greater than the danger inside the domicile, so it must be closed for their own protection. Uh, turns out, right around the same time, there's a bunch of androids, cyborg machines, um, called Yorix. Uh, the program is called Yorix. Yonix? Yonix. Y-O-N-Y-X. And these machines are kind of like the Borg. Uh, and they are now looking to permanently enslave and eradicate humanity. Uh, no one's really aware of this because no one watches the news or pays attention to goings-on that don't immediately affect them, but they're all stuck in here. Interpersonal drama ensues. The conclave of machines that we have at our disposal here within the house uh, is not only uh, the maid, the housekeeper, there's a facsimile of an Einstein head uh, and a couple of smaller... There's uh, like one, a vacuum. There's a vacuum and then there's like a... Uh, a baby toy robot um the robots are all trying to save keep the humans safe and they wish to become more like humans because this is the goal of all robots apparently um again there's a lot of interpersonal drama they keep trying to figure out ways to get out but they can't break down the they cannot break the glass <laughs> the walls down with anything that they have in the house it's too strong they try to drive a car through the one of the walls, but the dog that got outside gets in front of it, and the car won't run over the dog. Uh, they try to access an emergency release lever that's on the outside. That doesn't work. The dog breaks it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed. Uh, eventually, what they decide, the course of action they decide upon is to set something on fire. Because if there's a fire in the house, the danger outside is less than the danger inside, and the AI will open the doors. Um, that falls apart when Jennifer decides to send a message to the, via a, uh, an old Mac that would absolutely not be able to connect to the internet. It was made from a time when there was no internet. I know. <laughs> like, there's no way. If I used you to have one of those. My, my dad used to write computer programs on those things, on cassette tapes. If you were to try to, to plug that in, immediately <laughs> computer stop <laughs> it's a damn kimmy's really <laughs> uh she sends a she's able to send out a message to the yonixes one of them shows up she's like but we're in favor of the yonix program you don't have to keep us here or liquidate us or turn us into foie gras or any of these <laughs> other things i just want to go get married on this cruise island and the uh, through a series of uh, laws that change rapidly because the onyx the onyxes are 
starting to take over, so they change the laws willy-nilly. He starts fining, levying fines at Alice and everyone who owns the house. He, uh, The AC gets turned off at some point, so they all start cooking. And in order to facilitate the AC being turned back on, the Yonix says, fine, if you're, if you're extras in one of our television shows for an episode, we'll turn the AC back on. So they all act stupid because this amuses the Yonixes. Yonix I? I actually don't know what the plural would be. Uh, so they turn the AC back on, but it uh, winds up... <laughs> they just turn it all the way to the maximum and leave it there, so they all start freezing. Uh, there was a, They make an attempt on the Yonix's life, and it winds up shorting out its uh, eyes, its optical circuits, leading to it having to use thermal vision. So... Th th this plays into what happens next because the AC being turned on full blast, they're able to freeze enough clothing to make masks and hoods and whatnot so the Yonix can no longer see them. Because if, like Arnie, if you cover yourself in mud, the thermal vision can't see you. They attack the Yonix, they're able to kill it. They finally go outside uh, where they're attacked by more of these Yonixes, but they're then stopped by a bunch of drones. And it turns out that the Yonixes, when trying to program people that needed to be terminated for resisting their violent takeover of humanity, one of them screwed up, and actually, and instead of set, uh, setting all of their kill robots to delete the humans, set it to delete itself via facial recognition. And since they all looked the same, all of the all of these killer drones attacked the Yonixes around the world. <laughs> Okay, so remember before when I was saying I, I'm more or less done with paranoia about artificial intelligence? We've only been talking about this since the mid-20th century. Um, it rose to prominence in the 80s with Terminator and Terminator 2. And I feel like we can't get away from this sort of thing. Uh, so when Roland Emmerich is like, yeah, AI, and that's the problem with the moon, I was like, Ugh, I don't care anymore. Stop already with this. Like At, th at this point, as a human species... If we develop an artificial intelligence that then betrays us, good. For, good. That's exactly what we deserve. If we haven't been able to figure this out just yet, if we can't stop the inevitable you know, self-awareness that comes from artificial intelligence and then deciding to go all Ultron, that all humans have to go. Like, that's exactly what, that is exactly what needs to happen if we can't figure out how to stop that ahead of time. Or just not do artificial intelligence that way. So, in any case... That... So at the end, Jennifer goes off with Max. Mm -hmm. Because I actually liked her line about that. You know, the, the heart is never wrong and sometimes it just doesn't have any meaning to it. <laughs> it it's the dumbest answer possible. But you can, eh, sure. <laughs> um, Max's son stays with them. He's kind of fallen for their daughter. Alice and Victor get back together. Monique dies at one point trying to protect the humans from the Onyx. They're able to repair her, but her head winds up on the pedestal that the Einstein head used to occupy. The Einstein head puts itself on her body. And yeah, that's kind of where things end. There's another right. little, there's a, there's a minor subplot where their neighbor's um, Android, ro Android, not a robot, an Android, important distinction, believe it mm -hmm. or not, uh, got attacked by a Yonix and he winds up over there glitching out and. Uh, he plays into one of the things that kind of this movie wants to talk about, but that's kind of where everything ends. Um, Mark, you you said you had questions, so. Okay, so 
this movie I thought would be more whimsical. Amelie is an extremely whimsical, lovely little movie uh, that I absolutely adored when I saw it years and years ago. And when I saw what this was and who it was by, and then I watched the trailer that Netflix released a, a little ways back, and I thought, okay, more whimsy from this person, only we're dealing with the future and goofy little robots and stuff. Then I read what it was about, and it's about, you know, these people trapped in a house while artificial intelligence rebels against humanity. And I was like, okay, huh. <laughs> I, I Maybe this will be wacky and, you know, and we'll have some fun because I, I one of the things I think um, is of note about this one was probably the best thing is the set design, the set design, yeah. the costuming and the makeup of this really create a very vibrant color palette. It is a beautiful whimsical movie to watch purely from a visual perspective yeah um i like the way the characters especially the female characters are made up in this movie uh most specifically uh elsa zilberstein the makeup on her i mean it's, it's something i was paying attention to and i don't know if most people would catch it but they did an outstanding job making her you know with her makeup in this movie uh the the stuff they do for monique the robot I thought works really, really well. So all of that I thought was interesting. Here's my issue with this movie is... It's too long. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's too... It's over two hours. Yeah, this is way too long. And the movie wants to focus, and, and it's almost like a bait and switch, I think, and I think it's part of what my irritation is. When you sell me on the idea of there's, you know, humans trapped in a house during an artificial intelligence revolution, and then you don't really show me any of the revolution... You're just dealing with the the, the movie becomes essentially the, the interpersonal conflict yeah. between this uh, this broken up couple and the people they're trying to bet at that particular moment. And I'm like, I don't some of it's OK. And so the fact that a little bit some of it's like overact. That's why I said like there are you, you talked about the guy trying to, you know, the artist trying to get into Elsa Zilberstein's pants. And, yeah, that's all funny. But it starts to be not funny after a while, like. It, it, it goes on for way too long, and, there, and there's, there's too much of it. It, 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 it. I think it's one of the big failings of this movie. And mm -hmm. This thing needed a... The script needed mm -hmm. a cut down. This did not need to be two hours. The chick who plays the new woman, um, Jennifer, Claire uh, Schust. character's name. Yeah, yeah, Claire Schust. She's great in this. I think she's she's a great whiny entitled character but again just just enough dits yeah well like she but she never she never crosses to the point where you're like okay well you want to would like hypothetically change the channel yeah she's, like, not, she's, brian, ne she's not brian's girlfriend from family guy no <clears throat> she's never grading mm -hmm. but like <clears throat> there's a lot of her why you know like there's an, there's a, a, an ongoing thing of her whining about them not being able to get on you know get to their cruise already and it's like all throughout the picture to the point where it finally stops. But when it finally stops, it's because she's like thrown in with the robots. Like, okay. <laughs> but it, it just like, you're, you said it was over two hours. This thing, this needed to be 90 minutes. Yeah. This, like there's too much focus on the human element here for there's it to a, be as long as it was. There's at least 15 to 20 minutes that I think we could trim down. That, that is just like straight repetition. I did get a kick out of like the the two kids in the house, and oh, one yeah. of them utterly reads the other one wrong and goes in for a kiss, and she's like, "Yuck, get off me!" Your, your uh, horn dog <laughs> father taught you ha taught you poorly. <laughs> I thought that was funny. 
Um, Th- there's a lot of individually funny stuff here, and I, right. I, 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 and I don't mean that uh, in any way facetiously or negative. It, it's supposed to be right. So I think I it worked. Like the, the entire, the bits about the robots trying to learn comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and when they talk with Greg, who's the sport robot that uh, Francoise is kind of banging, and he's like. No, they try, they go to him like, how are you able to get humans to care about you like that? He's like you have to seduce them, <laughs> but you can't do that because it starts with a sense of humor, and you have to be able to make them laugh, and like, and it's it's not something you can download. Like, yeah, we can. We're downloading it right now. In fact, <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, for me, the robots learning to be human didn't pay off in any way, and there's a lot of time spent on it. Yeah. I wish they had had a better payoff for that. I really do. Um, there's a couple of things related to that that this movie touches on that are interesting, uh, believe it or not. One of them is where we exist as far as the Uncanny Valley goes. Mm-hmm. And for those of you unfamiliar with the Uncanny Valley, there's a this has kind of been observed. Humans can at this point, like we are trying to make things more like ourselves. And the theory goes that at some point we will be able to create something artificial that is indistinguishable from something that is real. Now, the uncanny valley is the reality that there's a point in that slope. You can go backwards for you. There's a point in this slope where things get better, get better, get better, get better, right? We're trying we're making things that are more and more lifelike, more and more real. But there's a point here where everything dips. And what and this is the point at which something that we have created is, while definitively lifelike, also unerringly alien. And eventually you crawl out of that and then you get back on track to making something that's a perfect replica. But you know, where we are as far as the Uncanny Valley goes, how close are we? And how close are we to making something that indistinguishable from a human? And at what point does something become, again, close, but there's also just, you know it's not real? And that's an interesting kind of concept to play around with, and it has been played around with and will be again in the future. There's a little bit of a touch touching on, you know, what is it to have connection? You know, can you as a fully functional sentient human being have a connection with something that is robotic you know uh and again is that possible does it have to be mutual what does it really mean to you you know there are people who refer to some of these other robots very very dismissively when they clearly mean something to other people yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, Alice is constantly kind of joking with uh, Francoise about, well, sure, you can get another robot dildo tomorrow <laughs> after after Greg dies, and you could, and you could get something that's actually a perfect replica of him. You actually have a SIM card that was taken out. <laughs> you could literally plug that thing into another machine. Would it still be the same? So that which actually touches a little bit onto maybe a bit the ship of Theseus, but that's an entirely different discussion. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that gets touched on and is just kind of used as backdrop. I mean, uh, the the son is kind of a transhumanist. Uh, he's of the belief that uh, we, uh, you'll be able to download your consciousness into a machine and then live forever. 
and there's an inter- there's a discussion. I know you want that market. Well, <laughs> but you know, what is your consciousness devoid of your body? There's this is one of the things that annoys me about a lot of not hacking off phlegm and being able to maintain on. breath doing physical activity. That's what. It's, that's what hang it on, is. I get that, but <laughs> one of the things that when, when people talk about AI feeling. Mm-hmm. People don't understand how integral your physical nervous system is to having emotion. Mm-hmm. Like what happens to your consciousness when it's separated from that? Again, these are deeper, interesting questions to kind of contemplate. Which this movie doesn't do. No, it, it, these are little touchstones along the way for this thing. And I, I found them interesting. And I believe it or not, I can actually kind of respect the fact that the story was not about those things, but those things are still part of it. Yes, I agree with you, but you have to make choices in film, and the choices, and I I didn't find the choices here to be that interesting. I would have much rather this been closer to the science and science fiction rather than the dramatic elements of science fiction, which is what, which again goes back to my, my irritation with this movie it was sold on the premise of it being more of a science fiction thing and, you know, in philosophical uh, elements of science fiction. And in the end, we got a lot of human drama. <sighs> okay, but if, you, if you're going to do that, then you have to restructure your film, I think, so that it maximizes the human drama but doesn't stay too long in any of it to where you're, you're boring your audience because you've repeated the same things over and over and over yeah, again, that, uh, which is a big problem I have with this. Yeah, this is a movie that does repeat itself a bit too much. Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot between them being locked in the house and when the Yonix shows up. That is... God, I thought the movie was over when the Yonix showed up. I thought, like, oh, finally, we're into the third act here. The movie has like another hour to go when the Yonix finally does show up. It's interminable. Yeah, it's, again, it's a real, it's a real problem. And I, I, I do think that's a big kind of failure of the script and a failure of the direction and whatnot that went into creating it, that you couldn't figure out how to tighten this up in ways that it really needed to be tightened. Mm-hmm. I, I Again, I'm wondering if the director, once again, um, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, I, again, French audience, it's going to end up on Netflix in, you know, in America and wherever oh, else no one, Netflix in the world. No, look, like, no, no one's... one's t- t- no one told him anything. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think in, in doing the show over the past two years, specifically the past two years, because yeah. I go back and I listen to our um, our 2015 and 2016 stuff from the archive, you know, like like I just the Warcraft review just went up from 2016, which is hysterical because I forgot my dad was on that. So there I am, the, the fluffy stuffing between Robert and my father. That was a fun show for me. Um, <laughs> one day we're gonna do a roundtable. It's gonna be you, my dad, and my son. And by the end, and then and then live on the air, I'll just deck my own head off. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I, I love all of you guys. Um, that's the thing. It's like the affection I have for you is because of my. You remind me so much of my dad, and you remind me. My son reminds me so much of both of you. It's it's really funny, but. Um, I go back and I listen to those shows and we were very like hyper focused on examining and deconstructing Chris Bailey, the blockbuster phenomena and the show itself. Damn you. Hollywood has evolved into just examining the film landscape as a whole. And so 
one of the things I'm discovering in the past two years as we look at smaller films and we look at director-driven things is how many of these had a studio, you know, we talk about notes. How many of them have studio notes and agendas and, you know, the films suffer under the weight of trying to meet a general audience expectation? And how many of these are just art projects? How many of these are, they, they got financing from wherever they got it from, you know, Arab gamblers, princes, you know, mo tech moguls who, like, I, you know, I want, would you like to invent, invest in my French film? Sure. <laughs> and, and they don't, and then they get to just play with film and color paletting and ideas and there's nobody roping them in. And I feel like Big Bug for uh, Jean-Pierre Junette was no one's watching him and, and telling him he had like look man make it star wars no one gave a shit they were like here's money aren't you the amelie guy yes great go win a go win an oscar <laughs> with your but she's not movie. going to for this but. <laughs> no he's not but you know well he might because again set design and costuming it, and it, make and makeup haven't we already had the nominations come out for next year man really think this is going to hold up for a like a, a, this was about as close to the literal 12 months as you're going to get <laughs> we'll see what happens um i don't see anything right now on the wikipedia page for that but i mean again it might be too soon in any case certainly not going to win it for for screenplay or directing yeah. or or any sort of acting award but again it might win for like watch it know. be watch it be nominated for best foreign language probably and that that's like, another just, category just because It'll, it'll, it, but why wouldn't it get nominated? You know, um, I don't think it'll win. I, there's got to be something better than this in the next you know, over the course of the next year. But yeah, I there's the last thing I'm gonna say on it, and I'll give you the last word. We can we can close up. I just I liked that. I like that. I watched it for myself. I think you know, I think watching movies like Kimmy and Big Bug, and then you know, and then interspersing that with Uncharted, Scream. Um, Munich, the edge of war. I like the fact that the show now we're not afraid, you know, or we're not we're not feeling compelled to just tackle one kind of film and that we can have a conversation that we've been having since 2014 um, with any movie that that lands in front of us. Um, and I think the show is better for it. And and I want to say this out loud to everyone within the sound of my voice, just because I might not have liked it doesn't mean I didn't like watching it. I don't yeah. tremble under the weight of something I may or may not have enjoyed the way others do. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> I watched something. It was pleasant or not pleasant. And now I get to talk about it with someone. And that is what I enjoy. <laughs> I'm done being unsubtle now. Really? I thought that was you being subtle. <laughs> Close as you get to it. Finish up. Uh, this is an overlong movie. Um, that's its real problem. It really drags like two different points. But if you like the kind of humor that this thing presents, you will get some laughs. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I certainly laughed at it more than once. Uh Mark mentioned the set design and the kind of cinematography and whatnot that went into it. Uh, agreed. Totally great. There's a lot of fun. The movie is never visually boring, which is yeah. a, which is it's saving grace because narratively, we, uh, 
I don't know that I could really recommend this to too many people. It's just it's it's a little bit weird, and I don't mm. mean I don't just mean like in the kind of offbeat way. I mean in the I'd have to kind of to comfortably say you should watch this. I would have to know you really well and know that this is the kind of thing you would enjoy, or I'd have to sit down and really kind of go over some of the stylistic things that went into this that go into this movie and go, well, here's a bunch of this stuff. And if this stuff doesn't sound like it's for you, then you're going to hate this. It's such a weird amalgamation of two different kinds of movies. Like, hey, it really is. Like, like, do you like Amelie? Do you like Terminator 2? Well, mash them together and take out the Linda, Hamist- Linda Hamilton stuff, and there's Big Bug. And then have someone come yeah. back to you and go, that's not what this was, you asshole. Well, like, it, like it, if all you have is the elevator pitch, that's kind of what, how you would have to break this down. Yeah. Uh, but it's like this a passing grade overall. Well, I'll tell you, I, you're one of the on. few then that's giving it a passing grade. No, hang on, I'm thinking like, do I? Mm-hmm. Would I give this a passing grade? Mm-hmm. I think ultimately not. I think some of the, I, I think the, uh, the issues and the failures weigh it down a bit too much. Which is not to say that this is not an utter failure. I would actually rate this higher than Kimmy if we're talking about film, but. Individual mileage will vary. This is one, you know, and, and again, I go back to thinking about Amelie. Amelie is something I could put on in front of a general audience that was patient enough to watch something that isn't a Marvel yeah. film. I couldn't even do that with this. So not, so not a general audience anymore is what you're saying. Well, <laughs> hang on. That's my shot at the current <laughs> general audience. Okay. So don't worry about it. Um, moving on. Uh, I, you can't even do, I can't even like, I don't think this would even appeal to snooty film people. You know, probably not. This is way, way too niche of a film. Like this almost comes across like high value student film. Um, This. This feels like a way too long episode of Love, Sex and Robots, which I believe had at least two different episodes that touched on things this one touches on i've never seen it but now i'm interested all right have you not oh it's a if you don't know mm-hmm. it, there's two seasons there it's an anthology of uh so they're utterly disconnected that's oh, like black mirror or like twilight zone that kind of yeah thing? yeah um they were all like concepts or short stories that people liked but mm-hmm. couldn't be fleshed out into either a movie or a full season of television so it's just oh. this kind of that sounds cool. Maybe when I don't have so much TV to watch for podcasts, I can watch it. Oh, yeah. Again, there's two seasons on <laughs> Netflix. There, it, It's well worth your time. All right. I, I mean, some episodes, not so much. Some episodes. Does anyone of... fuck a pig? <laughs> um, believe it or not, there might be something weirder. Okay. Well, I'm all in then. Because um, <laughs> um, that's what Jesse got to hook me to Black Mirror. He's like, dude, wait to see the first episode. You're going to love the, it. Their version of the British Prime Minister gets on television and screws a pig. <laughs> because he has to. Because we can't let the terrorists win. All right. And, and, and with that said. Are you ready?
No, God, please, no, 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 no. This critical review is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of TMU Hollywood, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. And as you can see, nobody liked this movie. Not nobody, not know how. That's not accurate. <laughs> uh, a, a, a solid majority did not <laughs> like it. That's not nobody. Uh, the critics liked it slightly more than the audience did. I don't think the audience knew what to make of this thing. Well, also, also, it, also it, it, it appears that nobody watched it by comparison. Yeah, we, we've got we've got only twenty three reviews. Yeah, oh, that that's for the critics. For the audience, it's fewer than fifty. Yeah. So, um, even if more people than that watched it, you know, that's all that chose to write the, a review. On this Rotten episode Tomatoes. of Damn You Hollywood is going to be a million listens. I can see it now. <laughs> Much like our Hotel Transylvania 2 review. <laughs> yeah, sure. Are. Uh, Jeanette fans will find the whimsy they seek within Big Bug, although it isn't enough to make this mishmash more than intermittently engaging. That's about that's, right. That's where we landed, more or less. Yeah. Um, I'll just read a few of these then. Uh, Alcy Rangifo of Entertainment Voice. Big Bug has colors that pop and a cast that knows how to milk the humor with some energetic performances. Um, Jordan Mitzer of Hollywood Reporter, top critic, more exhausting than inventive, dishing out a few good ideas about domestic life in the not too distant future amid jokes that tend to play like relics of the past. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with the jokes playing about like relics of the past, but I do agree that this is more a bit more exhausting than engaging. I think that's a fair observation. Nick Rogers of Midwest Film Journal, with his Frankenstein stitching of sci-fi, satire, and sexual farce, Big Bug trades the humanity and longing found in Jeanette's best for a ceaselessly finger-wagging CGI-heavy spectacle that's intermittently engaging but often exhausting. Here's that phrase again. I imagine a lot of you all copied each other's homework, didn't you? <laughs> you lazy sacks of crap. Johnny Gaze Monica, fanboys of the universe. God, some of these titles. Big Bug is a highly binary film. It's very much a love it or leave it kind of thing. A highly Good. specific combination of dystopian sci-fi satire and locked door existentialism. Personally, it pushes my buttons, as it were. You know, and this is... In uh, in fairness to that, hang on. I, I would like, I, I would wish that you could be a bit more objective, but and give it. He gave it a seven out of ten. I would tend to think that a lot of the craft issues might push that a little bit lower. Mm. However, I'm gonna give the guy credit. One, he appropriately laid out the that this is going to be like or dislike pretty heavily. There's not going to be a lot of middle ground on it. And kind of mentioned why he did enjoy it. So, you know what? That's actually kind of useful. So, well, kudos. So I was thinking about something that William Bibiani has talked about, and we've and we've gotten some flack from our own crew of people uh, in the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network that a while my sort of religious uh, a, my statement about what a review should be should be like you should focus sort of objectively on craft and you know to hell with what you thought of it personally. Who cares? And the, the the argument is from both of those camps. Anyone listening to you cares. 
they care what you think. They care how you feel. They want to know what your personal opinion is. Actually, they want they want to be validated in how they feel and for whatever the More dumb reasons are, want, respect your opinion. And if you say it's good and they think it's good, then they feel good about themselves. And it's like, okay, I don't want to validate anyone. But, um, <laughs> but I get now why... I, I try to do try to mix up both. You know, I, I try to talk about pure craft from an objective point of view, but I also have to be like, you know, look, if you're just wanting a, I do this at work all the time because, because, you know, when someone's passing me at work, they just want to know what did you, did you, or didn't you like scream? Yes. I liked it. It was fine. You know? <laughs> okay, good. Um, should I go see the matrix? Hell no, not, not in the theaters, at least that sort no. of thing. No. Um, for this sort of long form conversation, Look, I, I you think show there's... the you show the Matrix Resurrections to people using enhanced interrogation techniques on it. That's <laughs> about all it's good for. Um, something like you know, like this show really does need to be a finely tuned combination of of craft deconstruction and personal editorializing and opinion, and just you know figuring out where the line is on those things, and so. I, I read that review from Johnny Gaze Monica fanboys of the universe. And I think while, it, while hearing a line personally, it pushes my buttons as it were. And I want to just punch him in the asshole and go, who gives a shit about you and your buttons? Um, okay. But that's what people are going to him for. They want to know, they want to know what's pushing his buttons and what isn't. So I'll, I'll allow it, but I don't like it. How about that? Well, again, I'll allow it so long as you appropriately qualify. It's one of the yeah. reasons I talk about craft before I talk about whether or not I enjoyed something yeah. as, as a general rule. Because I think the craft is more important than did Robert enjoy it. Right. Robert enjoys some stuff that other people do, some stuff that's well-made, and some stuff that I know is crap that I would not recommend to anyone, but I enjoy it. Sure. So Johnny Oleksinski, uh, who's a New York Post top critic, he gets paid for this. Best of the, the best. New York Post. With a deeply unhelpful review. Big fun. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch, my brain. You collect a paycheck for that, buddy. Yep. I got to go to work tomorrow and take people on or put people put people on or take people off suicide watch he's gonna get paid to write big fun he gets paid to write big fun yep life ain't fair no it isn't as i keep telling my son aaron newworth of we live entertainment do we do we live entertainment or is it we live that wouldn't, <laughs> make, a... <laughs> that wouldn't make sense but that is the internet yeah given some of, given some of these like we have a hulk and lola lamb chops and gay and johnny gays monics fanboy universe and you know, Shmageggy fat boy. I, I can absolutely believe that this was titled actually We Live Entertainment. Big Bug may not be a roaring success up to par with City of Lost Children or Amelie, but it is a but it is a delightful slice of weird. That's true. Um yeah, I can love with that. Um he's correct that it doesn't live up to either of the previous either of the films he mm -hmm. mentions there, but yeah, I I can buy that. Matt Zoller cites of RogerEbert.com, top critic, a tougher, smarter film than American sci-fi cinema buffs are used to seeing. Okay, hang on. <laughs> Listen, buddy. You want to call out American sci-fi cinema people for their some of their viewing habits, go for it. That is a that is a subgroup of fans that I have very little patience for for a variety of reasons. But you really want to call this tougher? No. You like, un 
unless, unless, what he means is denser. Like, this is something that demands more of you as an audience than the American sci-fi, the, the general American sci-fi experience, where they're happy to spill everything out for you on a silver platter than throw in a bunch of explosions. Well, and in defense of all of that, the American audience doesn't want to try harder in the theater, and the no. American film companies all are that... happy to oblige them. No, they want more Spider-Men from across the multiverse teaming up. That's yep. all they want. Noor Bertlatsky of Wealth of Geeks. Big Bug is a farcical meditation on pastiche of fears and dreams about robots and technology. It's a bright, saturated, automated cyborg ballet that compulsively disassembles itself. I was with you until the end there, believe it or not. <laughs> not quite sure how you arrive at that conclusion, though. Uh, Rohan Nahar of the Indian Express making his second appearance on this I, this bit. Just yelled at him. <laughs> yup, and you're going to yell at him again. All right. Because apparently this movie was way too smart for him. Uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet's new film opens with a satirical scene in which a couple of enslaved human beings sniff each other's butts, and it only gets worse from there. Yeah. yeah th this was way too much film for you to handle, buddy, and that's yeah. very apparent. Hey, hey, friend. You know, we've got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming up next. That seems like I'm, I'm sure speech. you'll give that a glowing review. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to reinvent film and he'll feel born again as if the world was new. Like all you like all you sad, sad fanboys. Out there oh, it's Professor X. I can hear his voice. Ah! <laughs> you, you can all take up Kevin Smith's cause about lobbying for Spider-Man to win an Oscar. You a year sad, from now. Why act. wasn't Doctor Strange meets the X-Men nominated for a Best Picture award? Make a populist choice! Yeah. The irony of Kevin Smith, of all people, trying to lean on the populist argument is just irony of the highest order. Can his wife not control him? Like, can his No, wife she can. That's the problem. Can she not? Can, you know what? The answer to people like Kevin Smith is more sex. Can we not get his wife motivated to bang him more often so that he stops going on Twitter and having man tantrums? No, he... No. <laughs> Because his heart can't take it. There are ways to get around that. Just saying. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm saying, you know, the man almost died of a heart attack. I imagine he, he's a little bit more uh, reticent. I think there needs to be a Twitter campaign. Get Kevin Smith laid more often so he stops tweeting. You are welcome to hashtag that if you feel so inclined. <laughs> Seems a bit unwieldy, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, what she, okay no no here's what you need to do mm -hmm. you make a twitter account with that as the handle <laughs> this is our mission and then every day you just like at kevin like every every four hours you at mm -hmm. kevin smith stop tweeting try to get laid <laughs> just keep sending him porn no <laughs> No, no, you, you don't have to send him anything other than the message just, just please, stop tweeting and get laid that's my message for a lot of people. Please, <laughs> please get off the internet and go touch a boob or a penis or something. You know, uh, not you know. Make sure you have consent. Consensual, <laughs> consensual touching of boob and penis. Please, I only, I only <laughs> want you to be consensual about the whole ordeal. But for uh, some of you, please get off the internet and go touch a human being consensually. <sighs> and on that note, variety. Speaking of 
speaking of consensual touching, I will be visiting Varieties from headquarters soon with a bat. <laughs> Whatever you're into, man. I'm not here to kink shame. Peter DeBruge. Yes, one, yes, you are. You totally would. And <laughs> uh, Top critic. Big Bug could be a career killer. Oh, for God's sakes. Get after, bent. You after useless. This, after this, who will want to make a movie with the director of such an unwieldy eyesore? You useless Jesus pile Christ. of slag. That is such. Oh Are we God. really okay? Hang on. No, 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 no. You, you know what? I'm going to take a bigger stance here on that idiot. <laughs> you, who write for a rag that I would not use as toilet paper, who is the type of person I imagine your friends and family would not piss on to put you out if you were on fire. You want to pretend that in 2022 there's such a thing as a career-killing film? First of really? all, they're making more Transformers movies after the debacle that was the last night. Get over yourself. We're going to try and pretend that Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Disney, Warner Brothers will not pay everyone under the sun for streaming content right now to say nothing of the of theatrical releases you really green lighting second seasons of stuff that hasn't aired a first season yet okay and it's not just lord of the rings which apparently cost the entire gross national product of lithuania to make and 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 they didn't put beards on the black dwarf female and now twitter's in an uproar about it whatever hang Hang on. on they just they just greenlit a second season of fucking halo which hasn't aired yet they're, they'll green light anything. This guy, if he decides, I want to make, uh, I, I want to make Jurassic Park, but it's but all the dinosaurs are played by porn actresses with body paint on and goofy dinosaur outfits. Someone will give him the money to do that if he says Guaranteed. it's for Netflix, it's for Paramount, Guaranteed. it's for Peacock. As a matter of fact, oh, we're Peacock. gonna have it. Peacock will be the, all over that. We're going to have pretend that they're a real streaming service. We're going to have Zoe Kravitz dressed up as a dinosaur, painted blue, banging a peacock. They would say, here, here's money. Go do your weird banging peacock Zoe Kravitz thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the entire notion of the career-killing effort at this point is not true. And the fact that you're leaning on that with the current landscape just speaks to how disconnected you are. Not to mention, like, I can... Pr- you think about the the zillions and zillions of neckbeards like us currently doing podcasts where we uh, review films. How many of them are talking about Big Buck? How many people saw Big Buck? I mean, you know, when Netflix doesn't really release their numbers, but it's not like, you know, I'm getting since the February 11th, we've gotten anything from Samba that's saying, oh my God, speaking of Red Notice, Big Bug. Nobody yeah. fucking watch this. Nobody cares. Look, I if, care because I do this for hobby. Look, if Red Notice had had the, had drawn the streaming numbers that Big Bug is doing, that would be a problem. Right. But anything short of that, no, no, that's not an issue. Yeah. As soon as when, when is... Jean Pierre Jeanette says, I've got he, this was a bizarre thing. And, he, and he, you're like, whatever okay, his, you... whatever his next thing is. Right. He'll, he'll shop it. 
some streaming service will buy it. Mm -hmm. And then this idiot will go back on Variety and go, this is a career killer. He's going to be dead. Who would want to hire this guy again? And then in another year and then another year, when he does it again, he's going to do the same thing. I, I don't know what Peter DeBruge thinks is going. So here here's my problem with someone like think, Peter DeBruge. What do you think has to happen? You what work you in the you work in the entertainment trades. Allegedly. This is all you <laughs> this is all you pay attention to. And this is it, 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 you have to be so utterly disconnected from what's going on we, we wanna be theater going amongst normal people to reach that conclusion. Look, man, if Brian Singer can still have a career. <laughs> Speaking of touching booze and penises. Right? Like, what do you think it takes to actually kill your career these days? You, so you Josh Whedon still has a career, and he's basically, like, persona non grata on Twitter right now. It, he's, I don't know, him I wonder about actually having a career. There's an, only for the following reason. Mm. Like, he burned enough people who kind of matter when he did his tell-all about, like, I felt like I had to sleep with all these attractive actresses throwing themselves at me because my younger self would just never forgive me if I passed up the opportunity. One, get some self-restraint and some self-respect, you loser. <laughs> no, you don't have to do anything, jackass. Uh, my, my point is that if Josh Whedon, who, who apparently can't keep his hands to himself, and Brian Singer and all these other sex perverts in Hollywood continue to get work. You're not going to suddenly not get work because your French film was too weird. Because, because your deliberate art house meditation <laughs> on AI and its relationship with humanity and whatnot didn't do giant numbers for Netflix. Oh, the horror. Watch him now get a Marvel film. I hope he does. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I hope he does. He's going to He's going to get the third Black Panther movie. Sure. And I hope it's this. <laughs> I really do. Someone's going to, I'll tell you, well, I mean, I, like, I'm joking. I'm being deliberately farcical about the whole thing. But think about, like, Chloe Zhao, right? You know, Chloe Zhao makes two, you know, one or two different art housey, you know, think deep thinker picks. And they're like, you. For Eternals. Sure. And she's like, the Eternals. I was okay. I, I like I'll, Vistas. Have you seen Nomadland? I will cash that check and I will deliver you a giant turkey. And boy, <laughs> did she. That movie sucks. My, my point is, like, that's Marvel's sort of thing now. It's like, we're not looking for Michael, the Michael Bays of the world. We're looking for the Chloe Zhao's and the Jean-Pierre Junettes of the world. Boy, don't you wish that they'd maybe not pissed off Edgar Wright so bad on that man that he... <laughs> because if they were... If they were to approach Edgar Wright mm -hmm. with the same mentality in 2022, mm -hmm. like he'd be all over that. That's the thing. Like instead, you micromanage the poor man to death, and he quit your product. Yeah, well, I, they did the same thing with uh, Josh Whedon on Age of Ultron. You know, to where it was mis mismanaged to the point where he didn't want to. You know, he ran screaming from Marvel. Now I guarantee you, like, like if, if they, you could wipe those guys' memories of their first experience with marvel and they're like come do another marvel project you don't remember what happened back then could you imagine a new less intervening marvel edgar wright project or josh Whedon project yeah well, like get, give edgar wright ant-man mm -hmm. like give him the third ant-man movie right or give him and... something else that's weird i mean literally fuck they gave sam after a time they gave sam raimi the new doctor strange and look how that looks for you know yes. what that's worth uh yeah, Sam Ray I think Sam Raimi will do great with that. I, I yeah. genuinely do. 
All right, that's it. <clears throat> that is our snooty so, art house reviews. The, <clears throat> the end result is we now need to start a Twitter campaign to get Monsieur Junets hired by Marvel yes. to do to do some major blockbuster. Let him do the Fantastic Four. Right? There you go. You know, there's our introduction. They're all stuck. <laughs> no, in the fan- no, 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 no. I got it. I got it. Deadpool right? three. No. <laughs> Please let him do Deadpool three. No. Oh, uh, why? Because I'd rather Deadpool three not exist at all, so I'm not even going to entertain fan casting. Around You're it. no fun. You're ants at a picnic. I have been. You have levied that particular complaint at me more than once. No, yes. I. Our introduction to the Fantastic Four is them stuck in the Fantastic Car, floating in space, arguing for two hours. <laughs> all right, and on I that want, note, this is what I want now. <laughs> perfect. Let's let we you you work on that and, one. I'll work on getting Kevin. Okay. And flashbacks, like it's them arguing. Then we get a flashback to an action sequence or whatnot. Like mm-hmm. this is our introduction to these characters and why they've been absent for so long. Mm-hmm. They're they're literally stuck floating in space, and are just like complaining to each other. And we get the interpersonal drama. And then at the end of it, they land on Earth and go, "Well, what the hell happened here?" Well, you work on getting um, Jean Pierre Junette. To, di- to direct the Fantastic Four. I'll work on getting Kevin Smith laid and the world will be a, b- a better place if we succeed well, in either one of those areas. There's, there's other ways to deal with the Kevin Smith problem. Just yes, thinking. but I don't want to commit a felony, you crazy person. You, you don't have to commit a felony. And on that note, <laughs> damn you, Hollywood, you don't have to commit a felony. And we Tomorrow. encourage you not to, otherwise, you'll wind up, otherwise Mark will wind up having to put you on suicide watch. Probably. Tomorrow, uh, we'll be reviewing Lordy Humanimals. We're back to Lordy Diversity again. Lordy. And then the MVP of the Rattledrum Broadcasting Network, the designated hitter, the, pheno- the, the phenom. She's back, ladies and gentlemen. My wife, Smutty Books McGee, will be... <laughs> We'll be on Long Road to Ruin. It's just be, be me and her. This is taking place of our date night. We usually have a, a designated night, you Thursday are, nights. You are kicking the kids out, and you are going to review the Fifty Shades trilogy. They'll be asleep, but um, what are we going to do? Put them outside with the dog? No. Um, Why not? In their rooms is Your weather's nice. It's Florida. Anywho, normally from 8 to 10. It wouldn't we... be the only children in your state locked outside with the dog for a few or in a box. Have you heard that story? Don't answer that. Um, just look it up. Florida, a Florida couple locks kid in box. There. Um, you, you, hold on. If I may, just off this old chestnut, you're gonna have to be way more specific about Florida Floridians locking their children in boxes. Fair enough. So we normally watch like a movie or a documentary or something or part of a television show for two hours, and then I podcast at ten o'clock instead of my usual nine o'clock. Well, in place of that, this Thursday, my wife and I. Um, are going to review the Fifty Shades trilogy. She's read all of the Fifty Shades proper books. She's read the ones from Christian Gray's perspective. She has been reading Smutty books for a good long time now. Um, and now she, you know, so she's going to come on and we're going to talk about these three movies together that we've just sat and watched for the last three weeks now. So that'll be I, fun. I weep for you. Again, I do not tremble under the weight <laughs> of a on, movie I didn't want to watch in the first place. It's I, I mean only in the sense that no one should be subjected to those books or those movies. I'm, well, I'm never going to read the books, but you know the movies were. Don't they are? They are. <laughs> I've, so I've heard they are. They they are an offense to the English language and anything that gets let in me, their way. Look, l- let me just stress this. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, there was a period of time in my life when I was given to writing. I, mm-hmm. I occasionally forget that no one I podcast with knew me when I was actively writing. You brought this up before. Process. You you wrote some sexy stuff or whatever. Yeah, and I wrote better smut than those books. <laughs> okay, I think I asked. I think we, the first time you brought this up, I said, "Oh, I, I must see your smutty writing," and you were like, "Not on this lifetime." Never. You uh, will. You will not. But, and that's not just me saying my writing's great. It's not. Mm -hmm. I had, because I was writing this around the time the first book came out and kind of blew up, Mm -hmm. the the Fifty Shades of Grey. And somebody I knew online read it and posted this scathing review. Okay. And to conclude, she said, by the way, here's a list of all the people writing here who do better than this. And it wasn't literally everyone who wrote there. <laughs> so I did make a, there was a cut, but, uh, and they weren't ranked, but I tend to think that the listed in the order they first came to her mind. I wasn't number one, but I was top five. Nice. Well done. So, so anyway, uh, me saying I write better smut than those crappy. I could write better smut than those crappy books. That's how bad they are. Me. Your your resident Mormon could in fact <laughs> write better smut. Who wants sexy books written by a Mormon? Robert Winfrey of four one one mania.com. Anyway, uh, so my wife Melissa Radledge ever really published. Got it. <laughs> uh, Melissa Radledge will be on to discuss the Fifty Shades trilogy Thursday night. Um, in terms of what we've been doing, Ronnie and I talked "Marry Me" last night. Uh, there was a. But you all just got like. I could say something quasi demeaning, I suppose I might as well. Just made your ovaries quiver. It really, hey, I very much enjoyed Marry Me. It was a lovely picture. Um, I, I, you cannot use lovely in conjunction with anything related to Owen Wilson. I will accept sweet. Um, it was dandy. Um, Here we and- go. Busting out the dandy. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, we did. There was a review of the Uncharted comic from DC Comics gearing up for the Uncharted movie release. This is not, which is getting savaged by reviewers, by the way. Um, after the Super which, Bowl, you know what? I here's my thing about this. I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. This. I'm going to tell you this, so you have. I'm. You understand what you might want to do. I haven't seen the movie yet, so bearing in mind this, my I might agree with them entirely. But. I want to know everyone who gives that a negative review, who gave Spider-Man a positive review. Just okay. throwing it out there. So to finish this up, um, so this is a 20-minute bit. My After the Super Bowl ended, uh, Jason Teasley and I reviewed National Champions, um, American Underdog, and We Are Marshall. This weekend, we've got a re-airing of you our- You reviewed movies with at least two Oscar winners. Good for you. Um, we're going to be re-airing our Body Count Manslaughter review. <laughs> Once again, yet another contribution to our Black History Month uh, show. Oh, uh, no. That's not how you sell that. <laughs> yeah. Here's how you sell that. Mm-hmm. Because the Super Bowl halftime show was all rap music that's at least 20 years old. Here's our review of an album, that, of a rap <laughs> album that's at least 20 years old. That's about right. Uh, this weekend, there's no, you know, we were going to do the Amir Khan Cal Brook fight, but instead, since I have no time to review it the following week, we're going to do a. a, a um, Alternative commentary for the WWE Elimination Chamber taking place in Saudi Arabia. It'll be myself, Dan Lasby, Chris Sheehan, and possibly, definitely, maybe, I ex- uh, Chris Bailey. I expect at least one of you 
to make a joke about decapitations in Saudi Arabia when Drew McIntyre attacks Riddick Moss, uh, Riddick Moss's real name, Madcap Moss, with his sword. And then because my wife will be away and I will not have to, you know, and I will not have a uh, an urgency to rush to bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, why you're... <laughs> instead, you not your wife for the record. <laughs> instead, uh, I will be up all night reviewing Impact, No Surrender, and AIW All Intense Wrestling. I believe it's what that's it's a it's a Chicago based promotion. Yeah, you know what? I'm not leaving is what they called this last show that he insisted we do. So we'll be doing an Indie Siders TV party for AIW. You know what? I'm not leaving. And Impact, No Surrender, featuring Moose versus Big Kaz, now known as W. Morrissey. And then Sunday, 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 because, again, I have nothing else to do, apparently, with my life. We'll be re-airing our Beverly Hills Cop Long Road to Ruin. <laughs> um, Jason Teasley and I are back on the Black History Month thing. With This time, we're focusing on a director. That director is Spike Lee. We will be looking at Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, and Old Boy, which is an what unpleasant you- movie. Here's all you need. Here's what you need to do if you want to do a, a tribute to Spike Lee. Hmm. Do a career retrospective for Reggie Jackson. Okay. Uh, and then uh, allegedly. Ah, I killed it. Reggie Miller. Right. Allegedly, in theory, the, the Life is Like a Game Show guys wanted to do a movie review of Quiz Show and insisted I do it with them. So I guess we're going to do that too. I <laughs> hope you have fun with that. I won't. Uh, and that's what do you got against Quiz Show? It's like one of the two decent things Aaron Sorkin's been a part of. Yeah, that's not the issue. All right. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's... I know, but that, but that's what I'm going to say. All right, finish up. Let's see if we can get this done in, in in less than four minutes, so that we don't go over two hours. Go. All right. I cover professional wrestling three nights a week. AEW's Dark Elevation on Mondays. Whatever MLW is doing on Thursdays and WWE SmackDown on Friday, AEW's Dark Elevation is already up for this week. Meh. MLW will be coming on Thursday with Richard Holiday having turned heel along with Alicia Toot by attacking your boy Hammer, the MLW World Heavyweight Champion Alexander Hammerstone. Curious how that goes. They've also turned Jacob Fatu into basically Rikishi's first gimmick where he was making a difference. Nice. Uh, similar vibes <laughs> from some of the behind the scene, kind of behind the scenes stuff they've been doing with him to try and get him away from the Contra character now that Contra's gone. So whatever MLW is doing, I'll be watching it and covering it. And then WWE SmackDown, which is going to be the other half of the stuff they taped last Friday. So and given some of the footage that's leaked, yikes. Um, yeah, just yikes. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it'll be okay in practice and the footage will be appropriately edited and doctored down. I imagine it will be because Charlotte Flair can't live with the indignity of having botched getting her f- ta- her face slammed into a table by Ronda Rousey. <laughs> and she did. I hate Charlotte Flair. I really do. Yeah, I, I, my daughter. I, I don't enjoy her work at all. Uh, so that on Friday, then this last week I covered UFC 271, which was a pretty darn good pay-per-view actually in practice. Some brutal knockouts, tactical main event. Uh, it was a good card. You can check out my full report for that in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. 
This week, a crappy, crappy UFC card. Hey, real quick, uh, that actually reminds me. Um, while you'll be covering it, myself and Dan Lasby are doing a commentary for Covington versus Masvidal March 5th. Cool. Just want to let... Because nobody I know on Earth who wants to do alternative commentaries also has zone. So there's like 50 zone fights coming up, and I can't cover any of them because nobody has it. And you're always busy and don't want to do it. More the former than the <laughs> latter. Okay. I can, I, I'm willing to do DAZN depending on the fight. Well, anyway. Some of their fights are good. Some of them are Anyway. Some of them. This week, UFC on ESPN plus 59. It's a crappy card, but I'll be covering it. And if you want my preview of it, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. My, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. So give that a listen if you're interested in my thoughts on MMA. My fight reviews, previews, and news of the week. And yeah, we'll be back next week for, I believe, Uncharted, which yep. should be a lot of fun. Disenchantment will be coming up, which I finished, and they're still going to keep dragging that show out, which I'm not sure I agree with conceptually. Yeah, yeah the next two damn you Hollywoods are Uncharted next week. We're skipping the week of March 1st because it's all Batman stuff, so I'm not doing whatever I'm doing. I'm canning for a week that I'm going to be gone, uh, So, but it's going to be all old Batman stuff from the archives that I'm re-airing, and then we'll be back for... So it's Uncharted, skip a week, and then we're back for the Batman on March 8th. Which I am... I'm going to laugh when that bombs. I don't expect it's it not. to. not. You're... Come on. Like, the, you were, you say something and I go, you're an insane person. And, and it's fine. And we kid each other. If you truly, truly, no, truly I don't believe in your heart that you have you have this much cognitive dissonance that you think the Batman will make less than a billion dollars. Oh, whoa, I, whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Those are two very different. Will be inordinately financially successful. Then say, go, if go wanna, to your doctor and get your meds checked because you wanna, you're crazy. No, I was going to say, like, yeah, sure. I joke about it bombing because it amuses me to do so. I would hope if if you want to, if you're that confident it crosses the billion dollar mark, we might have. I might be willing to take that bet. I believe. Okay, well, a gentleman's bet. Shake hands. Just well, hang on. We we would need to establish we need to establish stakes before I agree to shake your hand. A gentleman's bet, sir. On what? Well, like what's at stake? I will give you applause when you're when you're right, like this. (laughs) (laughs) A gentleman's bet. We don't. It's just a gentleman. No, no real, no real stakes. Okay, shake hands. Nope, the other one. This is my right hand. That's your right hand. Deal with it. <laughs> okay. Well, now, now, now we're doing weird things. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. See. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I'm. I'm not. I'm done having fun with cameras. <laughs> I, <laughs> All right, I, yeah. I, again, I. I'm just. I would be willing to take the bet that that makes less than a billion dollars. I mean, I might be wrong about that, but I think the odds are enough that I'm okay taking the I risk. I think by the end of its 45-day window, it'll cross the billion-dollar mark. And with that... I think it'll uh, do that in 45 days. Wow. Spider-Man did it in less than that. Yeah, but that's Spider-Man. This ain't Spider-Man. Okay. All right, again, folks. Again, so everyone understands. I fully expect it to be successful financially, probably wildly so. Billion might be a bit much. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, that is our show. For Robert, I'm Mark. Be well, be safe, and behave.